the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Greetings, friends and fellow companions, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle. I'm Travis Whiteman, and I think the event was a hoax. Are we live? <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm Chuck Martinell, and I kind of dozed off there. Um, <clears throat> um, Psionics do still does uh, smell bad. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm Ed McKeel, and I've I've been here, and yeah, we're live, and and Chuck is just sarcastic, and we love him anyway. <laughs> sarcastic? No, I really don't like psionics. I mean, it's just no, oh, nobody it's likes psionics. I just, love psionics. Oh. It's just oh. it's just sorcery for those who can't add. <laughs> what? I almost spit out my whiskey. I mean, my so, my my water. I'm sorry. Right, because <laughs> we would never. Anyway. Yeah, and hey, pretty soon in Tasha's uh, cauldron of everything, uh, we will have Sonic's rules uh, for both of you who are interested. And um, all two of you, that includes me. And so, um, and they've merged the Scion with the uh, Sorcerer, so it should be a lot of fun. Believe, believe, believe that's all, folks. Sorry. Once again, they had to put the scientist with the sorcerer. Well, quite honestly, though, if you look at what 5th edition's done, they've done a lot of consolidation of classes. I mean, they had to put the Hexblade with the Warlock, after all. Oh, God. All right. Is, is, that, is that where you're going? Because it's, it's pretty weak. So, we're on a Dragonlance Canticle podcast tonight, and yeah. we are. We are. And I promise you, all of our 10 to 20, I want to say 20, we used to say 10, but I feel like we've grown to 20. Maybe, maybe it's even two dozen. I don't know. But yeah, we, we, we're, we're not. Psionics, yes, we'll talk about it. Maybe. But we're here for a reason. <laughs> Mentalism. <Somebody. clears throat> Mysticism. <clears throat> yes, no, seriously, we are here to talk about Dragonlance and uh, what a topic we have tonight. And uh, the, this podcast may or may not, in fact, be fueled by lots and lots of water. So, <clears throat> what is our topic for tonight, guys? Well, well, before we go into the topic, there there were some cool things that happened recently. The, oh, they, they're they're okay. on the show notes. <laughs> I, but look at the first two words on the show notes, okay? <laughs> you didn't see your name, so you're like, let's skip these. It does say, yeah, it says Star Talk. He's right. We can't really. <laughs> uh... Yep, sorry. My bad. No, anyway. you did okay. It's actually Chuck's bad for writing them wrong. Anyway. I did not write them wrong. <laughs> I said, think it's our talk. It's the topic of the podcast. Yeah, but you see, once again, like you're, any, you're playing a psionic, aren't you? Like any kinder who can expound upon those two words. Come on. <laughs> <sighs> oh, we are not well, folks. So, 
Uh, we apologize to our editor who may or may not do something with this. So. <laughs> Sorry, Nathan. Uh, yeah. It'll be like fun and funny. It should not totally be edited out. But. It won't right. be. Anyway, so lots and lots of stuff has been going on. Um, some of it unofficial, some of it official ish. And. What do we want to talk about first? Well, let's talk about the big elephant in the room. There was recently uh, posted that they're looking at doing three legendary settings in a source book. And when we say legendary, you mean legitimate old school D&D setting. We don't know what those settings are, but we do have a quote, and I believe that quote was, as I'm looking through the story to get the quotes, um, dang it, where is it? Ah, quote from the story. Wizards of the Coast, Ray Winninger, confirmed that D&D's upcoming slate of publications will include several classic settings highly requested by fans. And this is his words, people. I can tell you that there are three of the old settings that we're working on right now that you'll be seeing in the next year or two, including some that the fans have been asking for for a very long time. So I can already tell you what they're going to be getting then. Al Quadam. <laughs> no. No. Al Quadam, no. How dare you, sir? <laughs> uh, what's, what's the other obscure ones? Um, the Return of the Middle Earth. Mastika. Is that even a setting? No, it was it was one of their early TSR ones. Oh, oh I got one for you. Pelinor. You guys ever hear of that? Yep. Oh. I have, actually. So we can have some uh, very, very... Obscure titles coming back out. The world of Pelinor is flat. Everyone knows that. I, I said I, I know this one. Why am I even here tonight? <laughs> <laughs> to, to bring positivity, which what you're failing at. Apparently. My guess is people are not clamoring for Pelinor. I mean, there's like maybe a few guys over at the Piazza who are, but uh uh do you want to do kind of a quick rundown of what candidates we might have yeah 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 i'm gonna do it right now no, so no, any not. of the fans i'm gonna interrupt you so you can <laughs> i'm doing it doing it um it per the story from comicbook.com which i will say uh, i'm a super nerd okay i read a lot of comic books i uh i do magic the gathering i do D D. I i do i'm across many genres of nerddom i don't know how my wife puts up with it but comicbook.com is a pretty, pretty decent, quotable, like I would say legit source, okay? okay. Now that being said, uh, well, from the story, it says Greyhawk, Spelljammer, Planescape, and Dragonlance. But here's so, the, the choices they do have, though. Ready for this list? Because I did take the time to research it. <laughs> They've got Black Star, which they don't own the rights to. Hold right. on, say that again. You you broke up. Yeah. I they have more, which they don't own the rights to. Blackmore, okay. That's owned by someone else. 
Greyhawk, which is a completely legit option. Mistara. I think that's likely. Mistara. Too well, niche. Very niche. No, it's not. I no. said it has a pretty decent following. Forgotten Realms, which we already have. Ravenloft is already out. Pelon, which we just discussed. Dragons. Caratour. Spelljammer. Hollow World. Dark Sun. L1, which I will not say again. Right, Council of Worms, Plains. I'm gonna say some of these is Jacandor Rakugan, Dragon Fist, Mahasapa, Ghostwalk, uh, just came back out, and Tear Veil. So, isn't Council of Worms doesn't that take place in the realm? I thought no, no, it's something that can be it's a little subsetting that can kind of be added anywhere. Um, so that means that it wouldn't be considered. It's its own campaign setting, though. The idea there is that you can play dragons, and I kind of doubt they would go for that. Um, <laughs> in so, a game called Dungeons and Dragons, playing a dragon is being frowned upon. <laughs> Humorous only to me. It, pretty much, because I don't it's, really know anybody that based a campaign there. You know that. So let me go through a few of these now. So some of these are like subsettings of the Forgotten Realms. You know, Alcadine, Cartour, Mastika, um, the Horde. Honestly, I don't think that the Horde or Mastika has that much interest. Um, Alcadine and Cartour may, uh, but with the current climate out there, they would have to make certain that they get just the right people um, writing it to make certain that it's um, uh, presented well culturally. Correct. Um, you know, Greyhawk, I think, is a likely candidate. Uh, I just kind of wonder, are they going to be able to do it and make some of the old-time Greyhawk fans happy? Well, I and, think if they get a source book for the first time in two, did they have a third edition Greyhawk book? Yeah, it was the players. Yeah. Book. Okay, so so it's been it's been a couple of editions here. We're talking twenty some years since they they had a book. Right. You know, granted we've had Ghosts of Saltmarsh, um, but that's just an adventure, and I could see Greyhawk being brought back as a series of adventures. Well, they, I thought they, they did some notes. Didn't they make some notes for to, to base that in Great Greyhawk in the in the game book? Uh, loosely. I mean, I, I'm playing through it right now, so, and it's it's loosely. Yeah. Um, like your morals, Chuck. <laughs> just joking. Just kidding. Dark Sun, I think, would be a likely candidate. It's always been highly popular. It came back in fourth edition. Um. And it did really well in fourth edition. Uh, Planescape, I think, is very likely. Um, yeah, I, I would put that high, very high. I hate Planescape. It's quite I, popular. I, it is a lot popular. Of people love it, though. I mean, there's nothing. It is. I, I would put that very high up there. I would. It's not my thing. No, it's not mine either. But I, I have to respect the fact that it it is a thing. Sadly. So, Spelljammer. Um, this is one that surprised me because it, 
my first thought was, well, it's too niche. You know, there's too few of us, meaning about 10 of us who uh, like Spelljammer. But with Starfinder being out and with the, you seeing so many little things from Spelljammer cropping up, um, I do think there is a possibility there. Well, it also crosses the different uh, books, right? The genres. Right. Yeah. I don't think Spelljammer's got a chance and heck coming out, to be honest with you, because they have not done all the settings. That's that's going to be the biggest problem. Yep. I agree. Well, I agree with Chuck. What they, what they could do, too, I, I've heard some folks suggest that they might combine Spelljammer and Planescape somehow. I'm not certain how that would be done. Um, but, you know, wait and see. Um, let's see, what am I missing? Mistara, I don't think is very likely because it covers a lot of the same territory as um, as the Forgotten Realms. Um, that includes the known world and the hollow world, so two subsettings. Um, so when we, when we, the next one would be Dark Sun, and honestly, Dark Sun got a 4E, a decent 4E, uh, you know, adjustment. Even though we don't speak of 4E. We, we mentioned that already. <laughs> you did mention, well, no. Yes. Sorry, I saw us back on that Dark Sun podcast again. Were, were, you, were you still talking? <sighs> All right, here's one for you. Birthright. Birthright's got a good chance. Really? Uh, I would say it's got a good. I mean, it's got still a decent following out there. It's, Tell me about Birthright. I don't know much about it. Uh, involves blood regions. Um, basically, bloodline is very important. Um, it's been a long time since I played in that setting. I think um, every monster is unique. Um, well, you also have auras of command. No one has regencies, uh, which you use your your regency points on. Uh, and that, you know, you, you acquire a domain. So yeah, for every right. every person that is hearing about this who might be under 35 years old knows nothing of what you're speaking, Chuck. Birthright was, yeah, Birthright came out like towards the end of the TSR setting days. So I think it was the last major setting to come out from them. Um you know, I could see it coming back, like with the popularity of Game of Thrones, uh, and then Paizo's um, Kingmaker uh, adventure path for um, Pathfinder. You know, with that stuff, there might be something there. So, is that what it's about? It's about building a kingdom. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you if you want to know, I mean, in two thousand five, they released a lot of stuff for free, and you can still find it um, about the birthright. If you follow Rich Baker, you if if you see what he's up to, they might tip your hat if if that's a possibility of it being worked on, because okay. he's the creator of it. All right, here's one for you: Ghost Walk. What the hell is that? So is <laughs> it's, it's basically kind of a um, city setting uh, where the living and the dead coexist in the same place. I don't think we'll see it, honestly. 
No, because I mean, if you already got the realms, you've already got that covered. Yeah, you can plop that in the realms and Greyhawk, whatever. And the person working on it, well, you know, one of the persons working on it was Monty Cook. They don't want Sean Reynolds. I just don't yeah. see. I just don't see that, those two coming back. No, they've got so much going on with Monty Cook Games right now. Yeah. So I would just say that's automatically scrapped. Okay. Here's so the one are... I think could possibly come back: Mintir Vale. That was the setting of D and D Fourth Edition, which we shall not mention, but we have to. Uh, and here's my thought on it: What if they just say, since the gods there are the same as the gods in um, um, Matt Mercer's Critical Role setting, uh, what if they just say it's another, you know, it's part of another continent on that world? <clears throat> I feel like that would be the worst bait and switch we've ever heard of. Yeah. Sorry, I'm feeling physically ill right now. Yeah, that would give me a stomach ache if that's what they did. Like, I would just be like, I, okay. I would be happy. Fair enough. What if they just brought an interior veil back? I, I didn't even know about that until you mentioned it. So I say, I know it's a 4E setting, but I don't I think very, very many yeah. people actually played in it. I was playing Pathfinder at that time. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> uh, I was. I, I created my own campaign world and got out of 4E and quit quit playing for a long time. So <laughs> I was considering castles and crusades at that time. Yeah, and that's what Blackmore is in. Cool. Is it? Now? I think it's in Castle. Oh, yeah, that's or in Sword and Sorcery or Old School Rules. One of those ones. Yeah. Um, so I think our likely candidates are Greyhawk, um, Dark Sun, Planescape, and Dragonlance. And if you listen to this podcast, then you, you know we, we don't really need to talk about Dragonlance because we're going to be talking more about Dragonlance. Right? Maybe? I mean, we kind of thought about it, but it's getting kind of late, so maybe we should wrap it. <laughs> So what else we have for news out there? Uh, any any movie news? No, no. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Uh, the forums got an upgrade to the latest version of V Bulletin. Um, I want to rework them a little bit, and we may have one other big update uh, coming soon with that. Um, have you mentioned the Dragonlance Wiki? Oh. We did mention it last podcast, I believe, but the Dragonlance Wiki is... Uh, the lexicon has become the Dragonlance Wiki for, for those of you who are living under a rock or not living under a rock, under a roof. Um, and we will uh, be... Put, we've moved all the files over and we'll be adding from that and changing some things up. Um, got a good team working on it, making some great edits and cleaning Thanks, up some, some old articles and... We're start putting on some new info boxes. Yeah, you know, I uh, I put out an article on the Nexus too, kind of talking about the history of Dragonlance wikis. You know, even before wikis were a thing, um, and it, it's really neat to see how far we've come. You know, I mean, I've been doing this nearly twenty years now, if you can believe that, and um, the fact that we're still 
doing this and that we have adapted with the times uh it, it speaks volumes and you know what a great team we have too so uh prop props to you chuck and to all your team on all the great work you're doing man thanks uh it's mainly my team i'm pretty much just there holding the shovel yeah and thank you to your team because those guys are doing a great job yeah, i was gonna say i mean holding the shovel on a virtual platform a lot tougher than you think. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Chuck. <laughs> Anything yeah. else going on? Um, the only thing I want to peg is, um, you know, the the Nexus. We play our live game, our, our live D and D five E game, Dragons on the River Time, and I feel like we're finally hitting our stride. Um, our last session had probably the most viewership that we've had in the entire existence of the game in the last four months. And you can, we live stream on our, now we live stream on Facebook, on Twitch, uh, and- YouTube. And on YouTube, you're right. And if you wanna find our recorded sessions, just go to YouTube and search Dragonlance Nexus and uh, subscribe. And you can find all of our four sessions and I'm very proud of our game, and I'm very proud of my players, and I am looking forward to continuing into the future with that game. So it, it's a lot of fun, and you know we're able to try out a few things and a few ideas. And um, uh, I'm I'm playing a Tinker Gnome Artificer, uh, which is super neat because I feel like. You know, this is one of the first times we've seen some really usable rules for a Tinker Gnome, and it makes sense. I agree. That's a great class. And then, of course, Chuck is playing a Dwarven Paladin, and he is also doing really awesome at it. Chuck right. plays a really good Dwarf. I, I have to say, I don't think I've ever seen anyone play a Dwarf quite as well. So It's, it's years of practice of being grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh Weldon though, he's the one that surprised me. Yeah, no, his candor is great. But everybody, you know, oh, Tim yeah. with his Minotaur and John with his with his elf that is so warlock. A warlock that we have rules on the Nexus for. And I promise we'll do a better job of focusing on our 5e Nexus rules that will are forthcoming. Uh, in fact, I will even say that we're working on a whole organizational uh, set of rules for the Towers of High Sorcery, and I will probably be stealing from them uh, in the near future for some NPCs. Yeah, no, it it is all good. You know, if anyone ever tells you that Dragonlance is dead, they're wrong. It's very much alive. If they ever tell you there's just one story to tell, you tell them to shut that nonsense up, that we have many stories to tell, and we are telling them on the river of time right now. And you know what? I could see this going on. Like, if that game comes to a logical end, I could see us doing any number of other games. You know, it. the, the future is open. I agree. I, I'm glad that you agree, Ed. Hearing you say the words, I agree, just really. 
don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like uh, Excelsior, best. I agree. With, I mean, I, I just agree. I feel like we have many stories to tell in the future, and maybe at some point it won't be me telling those stories. It'll be one of our other folks, and maybe I can be an obnoxious player and piss off that DM. So, so uh, speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of telling stories, hey. there are, is there more stories that we can tell in Korean other than just post-war the Lance? Is there some other time area era? we can dive into that would be cool to game in. So I heard of this one country that was based off the name of this terrible 80s. No, nothing? Off the terrible 80s? What? The 80s weren't terrible. No, but there's a movie from the 80s called Istar. Nobody got that one. Uh, I think you're you're on your own island there. It's a real movie. Dustin Hoffman was in it. And Warren Beatty. What are we talking about? Ishtar? <laughs> H-T-A-R? The H is silent. It's not okay. what I said. I mean, that is like the worst movie probably of all time. Look, man. Segways are segways, okay? Just- hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying, I agree with you. That's a terrible movie. I just didn't realize it was called Ishtar. I've always called it Ishtar, as in well, Ish. Like I said, the H was silent. No, it's really Ish. As in bad, Ish, like stay away. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because there's this uh, guy in D&D fandom. It's, he has a YouTube channel, and it's uh, his name is Jordan, but there's like a PH in there. And he always talks about how the pH is silent, you know. <laughs> oh, it's it's spelled Jorfton. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, right. it's it's weird. Well, my bad joke has now become a bad conversation. So let's just go into the main topic. All right. So we are talking about Istar. Yes. Well, what? Just drop a rock on it and. Move, you know, there's lots of death and disease, and everything gets better eventually. Or what are we talking about? So, why should you game in Istar? That is an excellent question, Trampus. I'm not sure about your joke, that was not excellent. That was my joke, typically. Either way, it was so bad. I that joke was so bad, and I thought it was Trampus, <laughs> you know, not the first time. <laughs> I had higher standards of, of your bad jokes. Yeah. You know what? Years ago, I played in a Star Wars game with some friends, and I had my one joke of the night that was funny. The rest of my jokes are just bad, but I always had one every night that was funny. <laughs> it so wasn't tonight, though. Probably not. <laughs> so back to why should you game at Istar? Uh, Istar is an excellent place to start an adventure. Um, you have everything from the small fishing village along the north shore of Lake of Istar, all the way up to the Holy Empire of Istar to to pick from. It's not just a little bit of uh, right before the cataclysm. You have a whole gauntlet of different things, such as if you want to focus on the small fil- fishing village of Istar, be a good way to incorporate ghosts of the salt marsh there. 
um, if you're looking to kind of to, to change things up. But throughout the history, Istar has had a huge rivalry with Carthay. You've got a whole gaming element going right there. And basically, you have the whole conquering of the world. You have Istar facing off with uh, Solomnia, Istar facing off with the mages, Istar killing people. There's just all sorts of things to do. And, and it's Istar is really more of a Roman-type setting, too. But, Chuck, why, why is Istar so special? I'm getting there. This is called, oh. this is called setting the story. Yeah, but I'm the voice of the audience right now. The voice of the audience needs to... <laughs> The audience is drunk. <laughs> no. Why, why do you get into to, to going into Istar? Because you have chances to going on adventures are of you could be part of the King Priest patrols coming out. Um, how many of you guys read Chris Pearson's trilogy? I did, and it's probably my favorite trilogy, even over some of uh, Tracy and Margaret's books. So you, you have to read it. Someday. The audiobook is excellent if, uh, if you ever have a chance to listen to me read it to you. So, I'll just call you up one day and start reading it. I, I help you. With this. <laughs> uh, but you have the chance here of, of really going into a, a continent that has a mixture of everything. I mean, you've got minotaurs here. You've got elves. You've got um, just Every type of setting imaginable is found here in this Roman-type setting. This is not just your fantasy medieval-type setting. This takes place more of a Roman feel. So in that, in its own own right, is a different type of game. Because now you're going out into these barbarian villages of Salamnia and Urgoth. And, and you're dealing with these barbarians. And the Sylvanestia, which are these hotty-totty things that think they're as good as you. You've got a world of adventure in front of you in any of the timeline here. You got a thousand years of adventure yeah. to go through. But but Chuck, didn't didn't Istar just enslave all these races? And and then at the end of the story, I it's again, this is an adventure you're getting into. You're the hero, you're gonna choose the path that it takes. It doesn't have to follow history. So well, you could be on the side of Istar. Or you could be against Istar. You could be leading that band of rebels, freeing those slaves of of the elves, getting them back home to Sylvanesti. You could be you could be a foot soldier leading the armies to go crush Carthay and, and those Minotaur folks. So I'm a big fan of knights. What and there's no dark knights in this time, and no legion still. So, what options do I have for knights? Knights of the Divine Hammer. You've got you've got the best version of the knighthood. <laughs> I mean, you also still have the Knights of Salamnia. They're still here, right? Um, you've got the Knights of the Divine Hammer, which are you can go, you can make them dark knights, legion of steel, honorable. Really, they fit any type of shoeing you need to in your campaign. So um, what what would be a good way to play the Knights of the Divine Hammer using 5e's rules? Would that be like the Oath of the Crown, or, or would any of the oaths kind of fit? So you're asking, asking for, I guess, Oath of the Crown. Let's, let's, let's explain what that is for folks. 
Okay, so, and I'm pulling it up here. I should have had this ready, but um, basically, kind of the oath of the crown is that you, it's more of like swearing your your oath to your um, your nation, your, your sovereign. Um, and it's that belief that gives you power. Um, well, you're, you're talking about paladins, though. <clears throat> right. The Knights of the Divine Hammer are a bunch of thugs. Sometimes they're not. They're not. They're they're all over. There there's some really good ones, and there's some really bad ones. They didn't start as thugs, to be fair. I know, but I'm talking about the whole whole the whole history here. So, well, if you're talking about the whole the whole history, then we can say that Istar didn't really start to enslave races until the last century, right? Yeah, once again, I'm talking about the whole... You guys have narrowed into, like, the last 20 years of history. I'm talking about the whole broad spectrum. Oh, oh, isn't that... Oh, I mean, Istar was only known for its for its follies in its last 20 years, right? I, I, You need to correct me. It's it's not. I mean, there are tons of information. So you've got, you've got really... The Knights of the Divine Hammer are only there for about the last 40 years. Okay. Um, they're, they're they're founded by the king priest, the last one, Beldenis. Um, but there's more to to this whole thing. Um, so we have to back up. The Knights of the Divine Hammer were originally children of the Hammer. Hmm. Um, the children of the Hammer were actually Beldenis Beldenis's uh, Beldin, idea. Um, he wanted orphan children to to become knights. And and really indoctrinated into the, the the church, the Istaran church, not not a paladin church, the Istaran church. So, um, so there's that little thing, you know, the Knights of the Divine Hammer don't have a long history, and because of that, you've got really all over on uh, uh, um, you've got good good ones, you've got really bad ones. Um, the most notable one was Catherine Marsevin. Um, so, and he's great, and he's a character that I wish we could get more about. Yeah, because he, he's actually an Nia Salamnia too. Oh, cool! Bum, bum, bum. A, lot, a lot of folks don't realize that. So he's carrying. He carries both. So one of the things I like about this time is, you know, a lot of times when you think about playing Knights of Salamnia, they, um, you know, like your sword knights find themselves without power, uh, you know, without their paladin style powers. Uh, so like going into the War of the Lands, you know, those were just fighters who were pretty devout. Um, or even if they were truly devout at that time. Um, you know, the the fifth age, the early parts of it, um, no powers. But, you know, I could see, like with this tar, uh, depending upon what era it is, you'd be playing a Knight of Salamnia who was around during the prime of, um, you know, what it was to be a Knight of Salamnia, you know, <clears throat> if that makes sense. Well, we're also talking about, well, 
if you go early on and to the creation of the country of Salamia, right? You, you, you do. I mean, one of the biggest problems with, with Istar here, and this is a problem that you happen a lot of times is the area is just not really fleshed out fully before the cataclysm. The, the 40 years prior to the cataclysm, or as, as Trampus calls it, the event that shall not be named, <laughs> um, it's really fleshed out well. I mean, you've got tons of information. You've got the Reign of Istar, the, the Tales book that covers a lot of the short stories, covers things like the games. Um, it, the games is what Caramon takes play takes part in in the Legend series. Uh, you've got just the the Chris Pearson trilogy, which does an excellent job mapping things out. You've got the there's that source book that uh, Margaret Weiss came out with. What was that called again? Legends of the Twins. Oh yes, that's right. The Legends of the Twins. You've got that source book. It's excellent. It's so well mapped out. And don't, don't we have a Tasselhoff? Uh, map pouch too. Very well, could. Don't get me started on that one. <laughs> I'm still very annoyed those were not binded. Yeah, but Sean McDonald did an excellent job on those Map, maps. Maps are yeah. great. I just did not like the packaging and the fact that I had to put them all in just sheets. You know, <laughs> if if uh, DMs Guild makes those uh, print on demand, it likely would be a soft cover book. Yeah, then that'd be perfectly fine. But back to our topic, though. <laughs> you get past that 40 years prior to um, Istar, you've got some some tidbits. You, you get things like the, the problems with the... You hear about them with the, the, uh, uh, the Salamnus uh, book. Uh, when when uh, the Rose Rebellion happens. You hear tidbits there about what's going on in Istar. But you don't ever get like just a nice chunk of like, here's Istar. You know, you've, you know you've got problems with Carthay. You know you've got problems with the elves somewhat. Um, they're allies, but they're not really allies. It's kind of a cold war. You've always got problems with Salamnia because, and Urgoth before that because of border wars. Yep. Um, so you have so much actually right adventuring there that's not even funny. I mean, it's a different type of adventure. It's not going to be dungeon diving. It's not going to be exploring the ancient ruins because you're you're among the living rooms. But you also have sites there that you don't have access to during War of the Lands. You can actually go to Thoradin and and see see, see what it's like. You can go to Zaxaroth. Exactly, and there's tons of information from that time period out there. Um, Zach Saroth has a huge war with Thorbarden before the Cataclysm. A huge war. If you read the dwarf, the, the dwarf trilogy. I would love to see some of the old uh, Towers of High Sorcery in action. You know, um, the uh, the one with the ruins, uh, Losarkum, you know. Um, that is a really neat looking tower. Um, or let's see, what's another whoa, whoa, example? Krampus, at this point, none of those towers are in ruins. Well, that's the point. Is they're still around. 
all of the towers, all five of them are there. And t- technically all and, seven are, but that's a whole nother. Oh, Lordy. All right. You know, if, you know, if we're, uh, you know, if we're focusing around Istar, you know, you've got a really neat terrified sorcery that has spires at the top that kind of <laughs> vaguely look like a hand, you know, and that's a neat one to visit as well. I mean, really, in this time period, if you go back from 40, a thousand years pre chasm you have an excellent, excellent playing map to use. You, you've got a continent that's connected, but not connected. Like, that's the one thing about the cataclysm I've never really understood, is is they, they claimed, you know, even in the uh, original Chronicles, they claimed that people have lost communication with each other, really. But you keep reading this book, and it's like, well, we don't, other than Tarsus, everybody kind of knew kind of what, what's still happening around, around the world, because Sturm goes to Salamnia. That's where he came back from. You know, all the heroes of the lands went adventuring out these different parts and came back with all this information. And there's still people traveling, but yet you get a thousand years pre uh, cataclysm. And like the dwarves, when they abandoned Thorin, which became Thoradin, had never been to the other side of the world. They, they literally bumbled their way to Thabardin. And it's, and it's, and it's, Really, they had no idea what was happening outside their little mar- marker of the world. And the same with everybody. You read the Sylvanesti books, the, the original elf uh, books. And they, once again, have very little knowledge outside of their homeland. And, you know, until, you know, they have the Kinslayer, they run away and start Qualanesti. And even when you read Salamnia and Ergoth, there's not much known again outside of those lands. So, Tarsus is by the sea at this point. It's a full on Lord City. But once again, nobody knows anything about it. It's like, it's what's crazy during this time period, 1000 PC, this whole time period, if you read the novels, nobody knows what's happening outside the area other than these Kender. So, so Chuck, you, you mentioned another country. Why don't you tell us? Well, like more about that. What's that? Uh, sorry, I lost you. I'm sorry, Carthay. Tell us more about Carthay because you've mentioned it a few times. Well, Carthay is is Carthay and Mythis. For those of you who are familiar with with Dragonlands nowadays, are homeland of the Minotaurs. Ah. So they're in that north west corner, northeast northeast yeah. corner. They're islands now. So you got the Isle Isle of Carthay now. Now back here, a long time ago, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, and <laughs> Trampus was a young man. I was. I was building an ark. It was going to rain. <laughs> you have <laughs> you have a little bit more than that. So um, so basically, uh, you have a a race of people who's enslaved minotaurs. And they are constantly rivals with Istar. Um, they broke off from northern Fafana, which was the empire of Istar, so they had a, a mutiny. Um, and then the Minotaurs took over the island. Several, it took them several times. Uh, 
But overall, this is just kind of like a, a con or uh, this is a province that breaks off from Istar. So, and that, I mean, that, once again, it's another one of those things that, while it's widely known that Carthay and Istar have problems, no one has really mapped it out like what exactly those were. Other than the Minotaurs were an enslaved race in Carthay at one time. Way later. Um, this is during this when they break off. Yeah. When they break when when they break off, they're enslaved there already. Minotaurs have a lot of anger because of this for centuries. Well, yeah, they even when they're able to break off, they even sail to Talados. Yes. They want to get out. I mean, that's, that's how bad it is. Yeah, the cataclysm actually benefited the Minotaurs, you know. It separated them from races who were trying to enslave them. Uh, they became an incredible naval power. Um, you know, they're just badass. But, and, and, as I say, in a side note, Ed, in the Talidus and Minotaurs, what what type of government did they set up? An Imperium. Which is... Basically an empire. Which is basically yeah. a Roman... Basically, it's a Roman yeah. empire. Mm-hmm. So right. basically, and, they, they take what they know, they slap an Italidus, and modern-day Istar, is, it's, it's right there. And same with the Blood Sea Minotaurs, too, you know. It's... I mean, they've got the games, which is like Roman Colosseums, you know, yep. they're dressed very Roman-like, and uh, it, it's just awesome. So if you really think about it, it's really odd that the Istar culture was carried on by the Minotaurs who were enslaved, but because of the, the, the culture of the honor and things like that, they were able to embrace it and keep it alive. Right. Well, you know, sometimes you create your culture off of what you know. Like the Draconians, uh, when they were finally building their homeland, they didn't know anything except the military command. So that's kind of what they based it off of. So the only so, thing... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Travis. So there's a couple of things. There's like three things here that I'm seeing uh, with an Istar-based campaign and kind of... Um, even broader than that, an Age of Might campaign. But, uh, you know, the, the first thing that strikes me is it's a very political setting. You know, that's one possibility. You could have all the politics between, you know, Istar and Carthay and Urgoth and Salamnia and navigating through all that. Um, the second thing is, you know, since so many records were lost with the Cataclysm, and we don't know much about what happened prior to the cataclysm. It seems like it would be a great opportunity for a sandbox um, setting. Uh, so, like, if you're wanting to build out Dragonlance and make it your own, uh, or if you're wanting to import some of the um, adventures into Dragonlance, this might be a good way of doing it. And, and then finally. Um, you know, going back to 4E a little bit, um, you know, 4E was all about this points of light setting where there's these little pieces of civilization, these points of light, and 
uh, scattered throughout like this wild and dangerous world. And um, that could very well be something that you could implement here with this tarp being the brightest point of light. I think that depends on the 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 year and how far Istar has like evolved into the civilization it will be, you know, in the future. Uh, I would say that one thing we need to be about. I know no one has mentioned it, but I feel like it's the elephant in the room: is there are no dragons during this time period on Krim. Well, they're on Krim. Well, yeah, but they're they're all asleep. Yes, they're they're all they're all uh, on the sidelines. There are pseudo dragons, as per the, uh, I guess the King Priest trilogy, but that that's all we got. <laughs> so, basically, the whole name of the campaign setting wouldn't apply here at all. We would have no dragon lances. Nope. Once again, though. You could easily, once again, this is your adventure. This is your campaign world. You could have a rogue dragon. You could have these things coming coming to light. There's nothing published that says there's never been a dragon during this time. There's well, there, there's nothing that actually covers this chunk of timeline other than just a few vague paragraphs. And imagine being an explorer and you're going through some dungeon and you get to the bottom and one of the big pieces of treasure is a dragon lance and you're trying to figure out what this is what's going on with it you know its history maybe you don't know the stories of the third dragon war as well um so there could be some fun there too i mean there's just so much chance to adventure in this place you got like i said the open sandbox here is huge you you could do so much with just the open sandbox that you don't need a, a, a campaign like Hard Adventure. You just need to be able to know some of the basics, what's going on, and there's enough maps out there you can populate that you can have an excellent campaign here. I mean, even if you want to game during the time of Venus Salamnus when he creates Salamnia, that is a good, somewhat chunked out amount of detail that you can use during that time frame, right? Yeah, there's tons, like I said, there's so much information that there's enough novels out there to pull things out of to help fill in some of these things. Um, plus, you, you can add your own twist to it. I mean, maybe you caused a cataclysm a century earlier. Maybe you become the king mm -hmm. priest. What if you're in a dungeon and you ended up finding a sleeping dragon? Exactly. What if there's a rogue dragon eating sheep? I mean, just because they, they, the dragons withdrew didn't mean all the dragons agreed. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I do think there's one other elephant in this room. Um, How big is this room, by the way? This is a <laughs> huge, huge room. Uh, Explore a room. It is an elephant sanctuary, in fact. Um, in fact, there's a woolly mammoth here. Um, so, 
every time someone thinks about ISTAR, the big thing they think about is the cataclysm. And I, I know, I, I think it's great that we've talked about all these ways that we can play in ISTAR prior to that. Uh, and quite honestly, it's kind of opened my eyes a little bit on some of the possibilities, and I kind of want to play there now. But um, the thing is, you know, every time you think about Istar, you think about the cataclysm and the end. And, you know, I I played in a game once. Um, my friend Dave ran this. It was called The Fallen. And, you know, we took inspiration from everywhere. But this is where my um, other moniker of Dragonhelm comes from. Uh, I was playing... Palladian Dragonhelm, a young knight of Salamnia who went by the rules, and uh, my friend Kenneth was playing John Dragonhelm, uh, who understood more of the spirit of the measure. And so we started out about six months prior to the Cataclysm. And, you know, Dragonhelm Keep is invaded by the forces of Istar. And at some point, um, the Cataclysm happens, and Dragonhelm Keep sinks mostly below the new sea, just off the eastern coast. And um, and Kenneth's character, uh, his wife's like nine months pregnant, and she she and the unborn baby die in the cataclysm. And meanwhile, he's made like immortal, and he has to witness this. And um, and, you know, we had several time jumps in there, too. But I tell you, it stands out as one of my two favorite Dragonlance campaigns. There is so much character development and building. And, you know, the time right after the Cataclysm is a dark time. And try playing in second edition D&D where you don't have like long rests or anything to heal up your hit points. You wow. got to heal them back like one a day. <laughs> one hit point every 24 hours. Yeah. Yep. It was rough. But, uh, you know, no clerics, but man, it was a lot of fun. I mean, that's, that's cool. But for me, uh, I have always been a fan of the Wizards of High Sorcery. And there is so much information that you can find, especially in the King Priest trilogy, about the Mage War, the Lost Wars. What do you guys think about that? AKA when the Wizards got their butt handed to them for the 44th time. Sure. But it's still really cool. And <laughs> no, there's a lot of information there. Well, it's a lot. It's very cool. I think there's a ton of gaming potential there. Yes. I mean, that's, that's the thing is, is there's potential everywhere with, when it comes to Istar. I mean, you could even be a party just of wizards. I know I that'd be that. difficult, but like you could do it, especially when they're they're going to try and move all of the magic items out of the towers of high sorcery that are going to explode before um, you know the king priest goes there and claims them. And of course, there were there were battles that happened between the the wizards and the. Uh, Knights of the Divine Hammer and the armies, and uh, I really feel like that that could be a whole campaign in itself. I agree. I mean, that's that's a great great uh, time time period to play in um, because you have 
that whole political element too. Like, how does Palanthus close their tower? You know, you have that whole game element there of of continent reaching, not not just one spot. So you could plan that epic adventure from starting in Way Earth and moving yourself around. Okay, so here's another question I have. What about uh, player options? I mean, you know, we have some of the standard stuff, but are there any classes or races that people would have a harder time playing, or would it be easier to play during this time? And I, mean, the, I, look, I was going to say, the, har- the hardest one's going to be your Dragonborn. Draconians don't exist at this time, and so you'd have to find a way to shoe one in if someone wanted to play it. Yeah, it's just not not a natural fit. So I think I think tieflings could be extremely interesting in this time. You know, especially in the years where the um, where Istar is kind of hunting down these non-human races, and here's this race that is like born of the devil so to speak uh, i would put them as a great gem race yeah well yeah i mean so okay look everybody i have so i'm gonna come at this from this angle i go on our we have our fan group dragonlands adventures and we have uh posts every day and people ask about tieflings and of course the going Rate is, oh, tieflings don't exist in Dragonlands. Well, that's not true, because in Price of Courage, we had a number of tieflings. And in Price of Courage, that race was said to be created by chaos. So let's just double down and say they're a gray gem race. And perhaps they were just, like you said, like, I'm just going to follow your logic, Trampus, and say, maybe they were created and then they were exterminated by Istar. That could be. So gray gem race like the gnomes and the kinder? And the Minotaurs. Yep. Not the dwarves. They were the first. (laughs) So totally not the dwarves. Dwarven propaganda there 101. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, and once again, who says they have to be exterminated? It could still be a pocket living underground someplace. There's a ton of places in in, in Kryn that have been forgotten about. Even I guess I said earlier the runes hadn't been built yet, but the, the runes that are already there from from the first Dragon Wars. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm looking at classes. I think most of these would fit, but I've got just a few that I think could be problematic. And we, you know, some of this is just it's kind of the same as in the War of the Lance time period too. You know, but like the Bard, the Sorcerer. Uh, I've, I've never yet understood what the problem with the bard is. There's no problem, and I'm going to tell you. Lucian Solban wrote a book called Renegade Mages, and it was before the War of the Lance, and there was a cabal of primal sorcerers running around that the Towers of High Sorcery chased down. Okay? So that means that there can be spontaneous casters at any time in Kryn's history. We need to stop thinking of no bards, no sorcerers, no any blah, blah, blah. Like, get it out of your head. We're done with so it. So we can have both the Wizards of High Sorcery and Istar chasing us down. Correct. 
That could be interesting. I mean, really, let's be honest. The Wizards of High Sorcery are so incompetent that they probably will probably be no threat. Uh, hey, I have, I have I have history to prove this. We've had this discussion before. You're right. You're right. So here's one that I think is interesting is the Warlock. I think it's a really powerful, um, flavorful class. You know, I think your patron could really define how you work within this campaign. Yeah, and some of these, it doesn't really matter. But the Fiend, that can make you an enemy of Vistar. But the Celestial, now, Think about this. What if the Celestial is actually the King Priest himself? That that would work, and that would be probably very, very most likely who it is. I think that could be a lot of fun. You know, maybe you're like a secret agent of his or something. Let's say that works. I mean, there's... I don't see too much other than, like I said, for me, I look at races and I see out of the player's handbook, I'm not going through the extra exotics because um, there's there's so many of them. Uh, but the Dragonborn is the one that's like, mm, you're going to have to try to shoe that one in somehow. Yep. Um, the rest of them, I think, it, no problem other than the half-orc has to become, or is the half-orc in the player's handbook? It, it is, but I, I would go um, I go half goblin. You know, half ogre. Just yeah. Use it for that. I was just gonna say that or hobgoblin, something like that. No, so, yeah, that one's is is one of those because there is no orcs. Yeah. But overall, I think you don't have a problem with anything. I think overall, most everything from five e easily fits into an Istar campaign. Yeah, I just think you need to deprogram a little bit from the restrictions that we know from earlier editions. Oh yeah, that that yeah. were there. But the the problem with those restrictions are, is they were there for a while, then they went back. They they loosened up. They, I mean, restrictions aren't nothing set in stone here. I, I agree, but then you have the naysayers who are like, "Well, you can't do this." And like, no, not true. But you have to spend your time explaining why. Well, and those people you don't invite to your game. Damn right. You play with positive people. Heck, Dragonborn, you want to know how to fit them in? I'll tell you how. So, the earlier example, you accidentally wake up a dragon, right? Well, the dragon's kind of ticked, but for whatever reason, he imbues a portion of his power into you, and you are reborn as a Dragonborn, which kind of goes back to some of their third edition origins. Um, So, you know, you would be a unique creature and have everything that goes along with it. But anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Not a half-orc. Except a half-orc. Dang, spelljammer ships, get them out of here! (laughs) (laughs) That's just a... uh, It's actually a racial slur against half-ogres. (laughs) <laughs> what is this work business <laughs> right so okay we've we've covered a lot tonight but what about what about when Ishtar does suffer the big explosion of the fiery mountain and is knocked under the the blood sea what happens then real estate becomes real cheap 
<laughs> or more expensive, depending. Are, are you talking about the, the, the lands under the Blood Sea? Yeah, because we get to the point in the lands and they are in that around where Istar was. Here's here's the thing with that is you actually have a chance to play the ruins of Istar with the Darganesti and Dermanesti and actually do an underwater campaign. Mm. Which which has never been done to my knowledge yet. I mean individuals have, but I don't have never heard of anybody running one. Not I've a full underwater. Team. I've heard of people going there with the, with the War of the Lands. I've never heard of anybody doing right after the fall of Istar, starting how the Darganesti and Dermanesti move into those areas. And maybe you have, but I haven't. And I want to say there have been some adventures, maybe even in Ghosts of Saltmarsh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that deal with underwater adventures uh so one could either run that there or get some inspiration um so i, I do want to say there's resources out there yeah you could just be treasure hunter you know that is tarfell you have the mean breathe underwater somehow let's go searching for for loot you're you're dating a dermanesti and you were a red 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 for a wizard <laughs> there you go you are a tinker gnome, and you want to test out your submarine. You know what? The Conundrum is probably uh, that is an excellent book, and the Indestructible Thirteen probably was going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one of my favorite points too, um, going into the Age of Mortals, is in the Dark Disciple trilogy. Uh, so, spoilers for people who haven't read it yet. Um, but the rising, the repair and rising of the Tower of Istar, you know, becoming the Tower of the Blood Sea. I mean, that is phenomenal. So Nuatari ended up sparing that tower from destruction because it had a whole bunch of holy relics in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stupid Nuatari. And, you know, they had some cool stuff in there about how, like, they would, um, you know, gather, like, fish to eat and such. Now, it, is it still below the water? I mean, I know it came up for a bit, but did it sink back down, or is it, like... No, it's it's above the water, and the black robes inhabit it after it came up by Mina's designs. Really, what I want to know is what else is coming back up. Exactly. I mean, that could be fun. It's re, the Istar Reborn. So when she brought up the tower, how much other land that might have been brought up to within 20 or 30 or 40 feet? You know? Or how, how do we know it's his feet? Could be 20, 30 yards. Could be hundreds of yards. Exactly. Could be whole ruins down there because the Tower of Istar was pretty much located inside the city. So, we, well, we know there's ruins down there from the War from Chronicles. Correct. Right. So it just depends how much he brought up because in Dark Disciple it doesn't really 
say how much came back up. It says the tower came back up, which... I kind of like the idea of the Blood Sea coming back and that being the quote-unquote grove for this tower. Now, I, I don't think, if I remember right, I don't think the the Maelstrom... It's gone. You know, it, I think it's gone still. It's gone. I thought it yeah. came back for just a little bit. And no, it never awesome came back. It. it was gone after the um, Tekisa stole the world. And even when the gods came back, the Maelstrom never returned. Yeah, but I thought something happened with that when the tower rose. Uh, maybe just the water swirled or something. But um, I miss the Maelstrom. Meh. I mean, I think Hallmark has a card I could send you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Maelstrom was too much of a deterrent to travel easily uh, along the sea there. And I, I know it's cool for maybe a campaign, but in reality, I feel like there's so much more to do, especially when adventures and things like that. Yeah, it could offer some uh, environmental hazards, you know, for place. So I think it has value. I mean, story-wise, though, what, what, why, why is it still needed? Yeah, it's not, you know. I can go with a micro one that serves the grove. Like that'd be kind of a cool if it's you know twenty miles out from the tower, just circling it, and then the eye of the storm over the tower. Yeah, a little whirlpool. That's cool. I think that'd be awesome, actually. Yeah, I can go with that, but the whole. It started becoming the Blood Sea again. You 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 would a fracture the Minotaur Nation again, yep. which I'm not in, not in favor of. I wouldn't mind seeing them actually having two different nations going at I it. Was, I was so hoping that at one point, uh, and I think the novels were kind of headed this way, but I was so hoping at one point that. Uh, the Minotaurs and the Knights of Slamia, you know, or Slamia in general, would come to war. Oh, yeah, no, that was totally hinted upon in the uh, Salamnic trilogy because the Minotaurs obviously have taken the Salamnesti first and kept it because the remaining elves attempted to retake it and were booted out quite a few times. Uh, that was including attacks uh, led by the Lioness. And they call it Ambien now, and they've just been cutting down trees and making ships. Yeah. They're awesome. But yeah, no, like, there was in the end of the Atlantic trilogy, Emperor Markham met a delegation of Minotaur and they left. He was like, we need to watch them. So yeah, it was definitely going to happen, I think. Oh yeah, it was, it was strongly hinted at. Especially if you read the Minotaur trilogy, where they were left at the end of them. That was such a good, good story. That's our boy, Richard Nag. We love you. <laughs> cool. Well, have we covered Istar and gaming in Istar? Have we missed anything? Let's see. I'm going to cover War of Bones. We talk about that when the Black Robe sell. Salus Reuben raises undead army, attack the Istar, and the Emperor, Emperor of Istar asks the uh, 
basically the tower of sorcery to help, and they refused. And then the uh, city, after they defeated all the undead, buried the tower under the bones and gave them an angry hand. We talk about that one. I've missed no. that one. I am not remembering this. In the- that sounds oh. pretty cool. When did that happen? Uh, that had like uh, five, about 500, 575 PC. Wow. Oh, so um, what tower was buried in bone? The, the high tower of high sorcery in Istar was because uh, the emperor of Istar, Lannis the Blind, sent the first son of Paladine, Eldon, to ask the wizards for help, and they said no. He came back three more times, and they refused each time. The Knights of Salamnia have to come and save Istar from being overrun by the undead. And basically, and they defeat some Istarns, too, who once again rise up because they want to take over. And the first son of Paladin has the undead bodies piled in front of the tower and warns the, warns the tower if they betray Istar again, they will be the bodies lining up in front of the tower. And, and that's one of the incidents that help make the people of Istar start start not liking the mages. Legit. Yeah. And so so that's one of them. Um, then we talk about the Three Thrones War. No. Okay, missed that one again. Uh, basically, yeah. that's when the the wizards try to get back into politics um, and. Um, uh, this is after the king priests are around, and they try to prop up their own king priest. Uh, and so one of the real king priests attacks the tower, can't skip, can't get past the grove, and um, basically it's a cold war. They can't get past the grove, the wizards can't defeat them. They agree to terms. So this is like 100, 150 years before the cataclysm. That would make a neat campaign. I said it's not one of those campaign ideas. And then you've got about 60, uh, 60 pre-cataclysm. you got Marwart. Um, he's the master of the Tower of Istar, and he places uh, and the place of the envoy for the king priest. He withdrew, withdrew, uh, withdraws the support of the high, Orders of High Sorcery from the king priest to support Beldanus. So, and uh, you might be familiar with that story. Yeah, yeah. So we did talk about that, I think. Yeah, it's covered in the Priest trilogy. Read yeah. the books. Read them. Yeah, I, th- I think we we covered that as possible gaming elements too. So that's what kicks off kind of lost battles. Yeah, and there, there's one other thing I think we forgot. I don't think we have time to talk about tonight, but um, uh, certainly another night. Um, Legends of the Twins that book had six alternate realities in there uh and one of them is called king priest ascendant and so that's another possibility for your players to go down you know that fork on the river time yes it is that's that's gonna say you got you got your different uh timelines there and uh you've got that's definitely a uh that that's going to be a hard gaming one, but you've got some options there to try to work against the king priest still. 
and I do have to say that that some of all of these things that we've mentioned tonight may have, or they're already being planned in our game. <laughs> uh, I, I planned this months ago. Cool. I'm glad that I'm being reaffirmed for for what I think is interesting. That makes me happy. Uh, we're we're going to play the War of Bones? Well, no, that one was new to me, but there's other stuff. Oh, it's, uh, it's sad that you don't know about the War of Bones. We're doomed. It's, it's mentioned in the Divine the book, The Divine Hammer. I just don't remember it. I've got to reread the tr- the King Priest trilogy. It's been a while. That's it. Hand in your card to Trampus tonight. Trampus hasn't even read the King Priest trilogy. I'd hand it to you. <laughs> That's true. Trampus but. isn't sad. <laughs> you know, you know how many years have you been doing this podcast? And how many years have we've told you to read the King Priest trilogy? And you still have at least not- on three other uh, other podcast episodes. I want to say, I just want to say, it's a minimum of been eight, nine years since this conversation started. <laughs> if if Probably, anything, if anything yeah, if you're I, consistent. You know, I here, here's the deal. I used to read all the time, and uh, when I would do it, the most would be over lunch, um, and then at some point, I went back to school, and my whole schedule changed. And I stopped. I stopped reading over lunch because it was a totally different schedule. And I just never got back into regular reading since then. Now I have read a few books here and there since, including the Taldish trilogy, uh, which is excellent. Um, but I, I'm kind of disappointed in myself, and I know part of it is because I spent too much time hitting like on Facebook. In my defense, those puppies were darn cute. (laughs) Trampus, I have made this offer to you. I will gladly mail you my trilogy because they're expensive to purchase. I I have them. You have them? Yeah, see, he's had them for a long time. Let's let's not go down that road. Okay. All right. Yeah, I I I, literally have... Enough Dragonlands books to last me the rest of my life, I think, uh, because I have managed to get two different people's uh, Dragonlands book collections. Um, and the last one I got filled in a lot of gaps from my original one. Um, and so now I've got this whole huge collection to give to a friend of mine here locally, uh, which I need to get done. Um, but, you know, I just need to set aside time to read and get that into my schedule and habit again. Well, friend, you have a mission. If you choose to accept it, you will probably read one of the best Dragonlance trilogy. No, I, and see, I think I would really like it just reading because I love knighthood so i think reading about the knights of the divine hammer would be um extremely interesting to me with that being said uh <laughs> what else do we have to talk about tonight uh we're getting uh, that tooth has fallen out that tooth fell out like 10 minutes ago 
Uh, I think my rash is cleared up. With that being said, thank you for joining us on the Dragonlands Canticle. I've been Chuck, not your host, but the guy who's wrapping it up. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm Ed, and I'm just trying to trying to uh, you know. Thanks for thanks for tuning in tonight. And um, on that note, just have a good evening. And, and I'm Trampus Whiteman, and I lost control of the ship a long time ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank, thanks guys for a great discussion. We hope that all of you at home will uh, have fun gaming in this tar. Uh, we'll have fun reading um, the Keen Priest trilogy, the Fall of Istar, and uh, you know whatever else you can grab your hands on for that era. And we hope you all just have some fun. And with that, we bid you good night. Sonic suck.